So we get asked about boats all the time. What's the worst boat or the scariest boat that you've ever you've ever ridden on? The worst riding? I would say that I probably have three that I would classify as the worst riding boats that I've been on. So the three are going to be a 32 Century, Grady White Tiger Cat, and then there was, I think it was a 26 World Cat, the one that's got a little cutty cabin in Most of these were all late 90s, early 2000s. But um, okay. yeah, that century, that 32 century, that thing. So it had a full tower on it, right? And you'd be going along and out of the middle of nowhere, this boat. So you've got, you know, your hull is kind of like two planes, right? So I'll try and hold the mic so that way I can kind of show you this. But it's got <laughs> like two planes and you'd be riding along and all of a sudden it would hop up. If this is one side of the hull, it would hop up like this and be riding on that one side of the hull with the gunnel out. So it was like you're riding on a flat bottom boat, but you're in a 32 foot boat with a tower. So like if you hit, like you could like jerk the wheel and make it pop up on the side of the hull like that. And oh. I'm telling you that thing was so scary. It would do it randomly. I got so good at doing it to where I, I could actually do it. Like, you know, you could turn the wheel and hop it up and it would ride yeah. on that hull. And I swear if you took a turn, I, I can almost guarantee you, you could capsize that boat and flip it over. Did like, you have to did you have controls up top? Oh yeah, there was controls up top. I never went up okay, there though. So I'm like running it up there. <laughs> yeah, that was way. I would be way too scary to go up there. Oh man, that would be that would be nuts. It's amazing the different rides that you get from. Actually, it just dawned on me. My family had a an '89 Thompson, an 18 foot Thompson stern drive, and it had the chine walk. I use these little boats. Oh in my yeah, lives, there you go. But it would do. It would do that and just, I mean, it would just ride up. And I mean, you literally were at an angle like that. Freaked my mom out mm -hmm. because we skied in little lakes in Nebraska that you, know, you could ski around four or five times, but that sliding up, you knew it was coming in a turn, but I could only imagine it would just randomly jumps on the, jumped on the side. Yeah. I think was that a, a boat you were working on or was that a, um, a boat that you ran a lot yeah yeah it was a boat that um we serviced a lot so i would i would end up taking it out and you know things would start falling apart on it so um yeah we we worked on that quite a bit and then the other two are probably more the reason why i'm not really a catamaran fan um but i mean you know i i think later on we'll probably talk about freemans in this video but um it's a difference between like a small catamaran and your larger catamarans, but the smaller yep. ones, the tiger cat, that one was just, that one was just terrible. Like, like in the, I mean, in, in the back of the boat, like there's four bilge pumps, pumps in the boat and there's two in the back, two in the front one, you know, on each side. Yeah. And they would be like two and a half feet below the deck to, to get to them. So it's like when those things get, went bad, you had to have somebody that was like six, five with a long enough arm to get down there to like do anything with it. It's like, why did you do this? And then, um, <laughs> I want to say that, yeah, that other one, the world cat did the same thing, but it would like, you'd be going along and it would randomly one of the holes would catch. So you'd be like going along and one hall would catch and it would jerk the whole boat like this and it would throw yeah. everybody to the side. Like, I mean, you'd be driving, it almost throw you out of the seat and you're like holding onto the steering wheel as it's like jerking off to the side. And it was just, I, I call it the worst because it's literally scary. It's unsafe. Like it was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're not holding on, if you don't know that could happen, 
what was it just the the angle it rode too far bow down or was the was it so blunt up front that's crazy I, that I, they would I have no the idea like of, I have no idea why it, why it did <laughs> all that I all I know is it did it consistently oh that's crazy that I remember we used to I sold boats for a number of years and um there was a, a Sea Ray a 240 Sundancer I don't remember what year I'm thinking like 0305 I think and it would do it would do this when you got up on plane as soon as you hit plane it would fall off to one side or the other depending on where the weight was oh wow if you did if you put a little bit of trim in it it stayed it stayed running like you wanted to but you know selling boats you're trying to take them out there and showing them the lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> they're first time boaters by the 240 dancer and you get up and it fell off the first time i was like what is going on oh. that is that sale didn't happen, Aaron. If you're curious, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's the our Thompson and that Sea Ray are the are the two that jump out for my mind. But nothing as bad as just randomly going on to the side or or catching a sponsor and just jerking. Yeah, yeah. You're not a you're not a huge cat fan now, um, but you you mentioned Freeman. What like you're just like man, I had that bad experience. I'm going to stick with the, the deep V. I know, I know what that's going to give mm -hmm. me. What, what are you thinking there? Um, well, when it comes to Freeman, I mean, that's just a whole different boat. Uh, we've, we've, I've worked on a lot of Freemans and I mean, it, it is like, you know, a lot of people say that all oh, it's a Freeman fad kind of got to hand it to them because when you get on a Freeman and you run them, they're like, they're phenomenal. I mean, they really are. Yeah. And the bigger ones are obviously better because, well, I mean, let's face it, they're built for offshore fishing. So, I mean, it's built right. to be a fishing machine. And like you, the bigger ones, when you're offshore, you're, you're getting that boat from one, the top of one wave to the top of the other wave. So it gets up on top and it just runs. I mean, it eats like three footers. I mean, just 75 miles an hour and it just hauls. Like it's, it's really? amazing. Like, um, so I really don't know that's that's like my caveat to the cat well also big sail cats so like if you're into sailing yeah. and stuff like that i'm definitely a fan of the big sail cats because of the space you get so much more space and yeah functionality out of the boat having you know the big wide berth and the you know the tunnels on both sides to go down into your rooms and the pilot house and all that like it's for a, for a liveaboard and a and a sail cat like that's those are my two caveats but the the small catamarans <laughs> not a fan not a fan we have i've run i run a just as a backup captain for um a towboat us here just on a, a little lake mm -hmm. and we have there's two cats a 19 footer and a 21 um but but i'm running them on you know uh lake wiley which is yeah. 500 miles of shoreline if it's rough, it's because a big cruiser went by <laughs> and, um, I like, I like running that boat, but you do, if you get, if you get in the wake, I mean, mm -hmm. you really bounce side to side with those, um, you know, with the, uh, uh, the, the, what am I, what's the word two, I'm looking the for? Two holes. The, yeah. The hole. Yeah. The two holes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that I don't care for, but it's a, it's a fine running boat. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's probably a early to mid 2000, maybe 2007, I would think. Mm -hmm. So that, but I've never, I've never run a Freeman. I get people asking me about it. And I'm like, there are so many boats out there that you just can't possibly have run all of them for sure. Or even mm -hmm. know a bun bunch about it, but they look amazing. They look amazing. Do you have, would you have other favorite boats? 
that um, you just, when they come in or you get a chance to run it, you're like, I'm on it for sure. Um, my favorite is probably a CV. I'm very okay. big CV fan. That's probably my favorite. I it, it all depends though, because different boats are different things. So like, like for the, for the sailboats, you know, the big sail cat, I like that. Um, yeah. For offshore fishing, like it depends on what you're trying to do. CVs, definitely a fan. If you're trying to wakeboard, um, I'm probably a Centurion fan above all. Pontoon boat, um, I don't know. I haven't really been in the pontoon world lately enough to to say yeah. this or that, you know. So I, I don't think I have really a brand there. But you'll have to give me a little bit to think about that one to, to throw, yeah. throw one <laughs> well, out there. You, you hit you hit the nail on the head with with one comment is it depends on what I'm trying to do. Like there, the more you're around boats, I think you realize there's no perfect boat. Mm -mm. Like, what do you, I don't know. What are you going to do out? Who are you going to go out with? What kind of water are you in? Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff really makes a big impact on, you know, Freeman is awesome. But if you're one to fish shallow, well, yeah. <laughs> probably, probably not great. Uh, but you know, if you want to surf the centurion is it's tough to beat their way for yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, I, I always, I always find that interesting when people ask that question, what's the best, what's the best, this, like, let me ask you a few questions. First. <laughs> Let's find out. Have you run, I had a question on my channel about regulators. Do you run, have you run many regulators? Yeah, I think regulators are a good, um, a mid tier boat. Definitely. Uh, it's just a plain Jane mid tier boat. They're built pretty well. I haven't really seen a regulator that's like, Oh man, look at this. This is falling apart. Like what, you know, this is a poor design, <laughs> but I don't really see that on any, any of the regulators that I've been on. I've worked on not a ton of them, probably a handful, maybe 10 or so. So my experience is not, you know, exhaustive by any means on, on a regulator, but I've always found them to be a decently riding boat. Um, yeah. And I think there's also a difference. You have to look at custom or semi-custom versus mass produced too. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, yeah. a significant price difference. And then you have to figure that into the equation of this is the, this is the best in that category, but it not only fits so many budgets. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Can you really not afford for me, like, it doesn't fit my budget all the time <laughs> to go with the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to run a 44 Freeman, but you know, can I really afford? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I liked your comment last week when you said, you know, I like to go with an older boat and then just clean it up when I'm ready to sell it. Yeah. Get it all fixed up. But I just go out, use it, you know, wash it down, do the stuff I got to do, but, um, but save that work till I'm, I'm getting rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. So you got the the Grady Tiger Cat, the World Cat, and the Century. We got the the Sun Deck or the Sun Dancer and the, our old Thompson. Mm -hmm. Any other any other boats that you that you've run that were just no, I would stick in your mind. Yeah, I would I would say that's my top. That'd be my top three for the worst riding boats. Let's go to a question um, from uh, Dave Bass sixty three sixty nine. I'm in Brackish Water in North Carolina two 150 Yamahas, if I was to flush the first one as soon as I got back to the dock for five minutes on the first motor, should I start the second motor and warm it up before flushing it? What would be too long of a time the second before the flushing process? Thanks. I think you'd be fine just moving over and flushing it. You know, you're not really, five minutes ain't, 
ain't that big of a deal. When you're flushing it, you're really just trying to get, you know, any anything that, that you picked up out. So you're trying to get any kind of like, if you picked up grass, if you picked up any kind of uh, dirt in, in fresh water, you know, if you picked up any kind of um, right anything, sand anything. or whatever. Yeah. So you're just trying to flush yeah. that out, get get some clean fresh water in there to to clean out the system. So yeah, if 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 you flush the one and then five ten minutes later flush the other one, you're you're fine. You're not uh, gonna have a problem. Yeah, the the one caveat I, I don't know if I'm if I'm reading into this, um, but I'm assuming they're running in the water. Like he's not cranking it up dry. That <laughs> well, the first time I read this question, I was like you that that five minutes is running in the water right let's let i'm I'm assuming that's the case uh, do you use anything else when you flush do you use salt away are you a, a salt away guy or, or some sort of a product like that i'm not really i do think that it all depends on how you use your boat how often and you know what's your long-term goal with the boat but yeah uh salt away is definitely phenomenal stuff for i think i think if you use salt away like two or three times a year, you'll be all right. I mean, if you want to use it every flush, yeah, absolutely. It's going to clean your cooling system out like crazy. But for, I think the average person, just a few times uh, a year, that's what I would do. And yeah, I think you'll definitely. I, I remember you did a video one time saying, I don't, it was like the, the title was, I don't flush my engines or why I don't flush my engines. If you're running your boat all, you know, if you're a commercial charter guy or you're just running your boat every day for a, a week in vacation, you don't need to flush it in between uses if you're going to use it consistently. It, it's that salt sitting there for mm -hmm. for long periods of time. Would you agree with that? That's kind of my thought process anyway. Yeah, I definitely, for most of the charter captains around here, they most of them don't flush their engines because it, the same thing. And... I think a lot of charter captains too, they put so many hours on the engine that by the time they get enough buildup from the cooling, from not flushing, by the time that, you know, becomes a problem, they've already worn that engine out anyway, and they're getting a new one. So it's like, they don't even, they don't even We're care about it. baby. Yeah. But, but for, for the average person, yeah, if you're, you know, you, you go out on the boat, um, in the morning and then you go fishing or whatever, come back and you're going to go for a sunset cruise or go to the sandbar later you really don't need to flush your engine in between, you know, uses like that. You're not, you're not doing a whole lot. I mean, you are, you're, you're flushing stuff out, but it's, I don't think you're going to see a massive impact on buildup in your cooling system. I always, I always make that caveat. I, I, I did some content on how long should a motor last, you know, like thousand to 1500 hours. And I always say, for pleasure boaters, mm -hmm. yes, commercial captains, or if you run your boat every day, they can get 2,000, 3,000. I mean, 5,000 mm -hmm. is not unheard of. No. But that's because they use it every day. They, It's always getting their the service done. It's always got oil lubricating things. Yep. That makes a difference. Makes a difference in these motors. Like like the story you told last week, you know, the boat sits for a while. Something seizes up. Something's going to break. Something's going to need to be uh, some TLC. Oh, yeah. Rock fan. Uh, Starboard's definitely great material. Thanks for the uh, great ways of showing multiple ways to use it. Where do you buy it? 
Uh, where, where do you get your starboard if you're not getting it from your suppliers? Um, down, well, it depends on where you're at. So like down here in South Florida, like, like here in the keys, you, I mean, it's a home Depot. So you just go in there and buy a, buy a, you know, uh, four by four sheet or two by four sheet. And it's pretty cheap wow. compared to anywhere else. Other than that, there's a, there's a lot of places, uh, boat outfitters.com is a huge supplier of starboard. I think I think the locality of where you're at is really going to determine what suppliers you've got near you. You know, other than that, it, for me, it's like I got a Home Depot. Uh, or, yeah, that's or that's nuts to me. You could just run down to the hardware store and pick it up. Uh, I, I mean, we have we have a lot of boats in my area, uh, but it's not at Home Depot. There, West Marine will carry it around to us. Yeah, and uh, you can usually go to a dealer and buy it from them or, you know, somebody that has access to a, to a, um, distributor online. You can usually find it online. Mm -hmm. We offer, we offer products on our site and we've got starboard. You can probably find it cheaper in a lot of other places. If you can get it locally, usually it's a, Oh crap. I need some starboard to to do this project the right way. You need it right now, right then and there. (laughs) So if, if you're in a big boating area, check the, check the, the home home improvement stores, but West Marine or a boating supply shop mm-hmm. will typically have it. And I would say a dealer type place or service to Bart would be the, the next most likely locally. Um, and it dep- I, I forgot where I can get it at a reasonable price. Oh that, yeah. At a reasonable price. Yeah, I mean, that also, that also matters. That also matters. Yeah. You're kind of at um, the mercy <laughs> of where you're at for the reasonable price. Uh, everything's like if you want it today, you know, a lot of times it's going to be yeah. something else that I was just thinking you might even be able to do is like, you know, call if you've got, you know, bigger marinas around you, you can call there. And depending on how big of a piece you need, if you just need a little, a little piece, you could probably call in and be like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a four inch by six inch piece of starboard. You got anything? Some is 20 bucks or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. I need some scrap. <laughs> I need some scrap starboard. What do you yep, got? Yeah. And here's, I, I sold I sold boats and was at a marina and all the yard guys, you know, they, they knew all the customers and somebody was selling their boat. They'd be like, Hey, Rusty, Hey, Bram, here's some tubes and some life jackets, or Mm -hmm. uh, we got new fenders. Here's my old fenders. And they would have a little side business where they could hook you (laughs) up with with some, some used product that, uh, you know, they just got from, there's just stuff laying around a boat yard or a marina that uh, average Joe's don't have access to. Mm -hmm. So that's a great idea. Go talk to somebody at a marina. They got a stockpile of some something that's not valuable to them, but way cheaper for you for sure. Huh? Yep. Good. Yep. That's good. Yeah, I think there was uh, a couple people actually talking about um not using the little kickstand on the outboard. Uh as oh, you drive yeah. down the road. And um yeah, hundred percent don't do that. That's a bad like that kickstand <laughs> is only for supporting your outboard, like you you know, you trim it up and then you put the kickstand down you can trim it down. You can suck in your rams. You can do like service stuff. It's only meant for that weight. But when you're going down the road, that thing bouncing like this, it's just going to snap yep. that kickstand off. You need to get, uh, they call them transom savers, transom savers. The, yep. The things that you put in on the ram and then suck it down and it, it sits on there. Um, a lot of, I think you've probably see a lot more for the stern drive stuff. Those ones where they put the, the drive down and it, goes to the trailer i think on a lot of those don't it yeah they'll you can hook it to the almost where you're where the three lights are um on the the back rail of the trailer mm-hmm. that come up we used to use the 
um, little clips that go over the cylinders. Yep. And then you yeah. tighten them up on there. Just that's a lot of load bouncing on those. And now, you know, you talk about 20 years ago, and maybe there was a 90 or a 115. Yeah. But now you got a 250, a 300 sitting that bouncing yeah. around. Yeah. Putting a lot of stress on everything back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that little, that little kickstand deal. That's not going to support a whole lot for for very long anyway. No, no, that's that's not for traveling. Not for traveling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about. Uh, we were talking about different boat styles. I always find it interesting the generations or the the different boat styles as they go through different ownership changes. So we had some questions about, hey, what do you think of Mako? And my first thought in my mind is, well. Is it the old Makos or is it the new Makos? Mm-hmm. Um, what What are your thoughts on on Mako brands and the the changing of you know the business changes ownerships? Yeah, sometimes they go totally different directions with their strategy. All they do, they um, I had a trying to think what year I think I had I think my Mako was an eighty five. I had a nineteen eighty five twenty one Mako. Uh, put a full transom on it the flotation bracket had a 250 evan rude ocean pro and we ran that thing everywhere for like three years and it was it was phenomenal one of my i would probably say top five boats that i had was that 21 makeup okay uh we yeah we spent a lot of time at the sandbar on that boat and it they ride great they really do i mean it you know, well, that's a that's a super coveted hull time. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to strip it out and probably got to redo the transom. But yep, that from what I understand, that, those Makos and that vintage were some of the best riding hulls out there. Um, but you go to you know you go to Bass Pro Shop today mm-hmm. and you look at a Mako, it's like you're looking at two completely different boats. Oh, they are. They're know? they're two completely different boats. Back then, the Mako was made in Miami and. Um, I'm not sure what the family that was making them was, but yeah, early, it might've been late nineties, early two thousands when Bass Pro bought Mako and they have turned into a production boat. And obviously with the production boat, you're going to have certain years are going to be better and certain models are going to be better. So, uh, some of the models I'm not a big fan of, and other ones are, are pretty nice. So it's, yeah, I I always go. I mean, on my channel, I talk to a lot of first time boat buyers. Right. And my opinion is, it, it depends on what's important to you. If you've only got a budget, but you want the brand new warranty, mm-hmm. you can go with the value entry level boat. Right. You know, there's there's and if you're going to be running on an inland lake, you're not going to be taking it offshore um, into you know crazy chop or anything like that. And you're going to run it ten times a year. Mm-hmm. Hey, make maybe that's perfect enough for you uh, but just know there's there's going to be little ticky tacky things that break it's not going to be the smoothest riding hole you've right. ever been on um, but it gets your family out on the water so there's there's those two two things you have to balance budget and the best of the best yeah and somewhere in there is a the right boat but knowing the difference chris craft is another one mm. that jumps out at me mm-hmm. like what vintage Chris Craft are you talking about? Because that thing's been up and down, and I mean, you, there's all like greatest boat ever to, oh my, what were they doing in the, in the, in the or late '90s? I think it was early 2000, late '90s. What were they doing? Yeah, I I have always been a fan of the Chris Craft. I think that's a very, 
it's a, it's a clean brand, I guess you would say. It it really yeah. It's 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 something that is you can tell it when you look at it. You know, it's got it's got its own like style. Yeah. Yeah, they came back with the the new and now it's a who who owns it now um they just got sold. Uh but anyway, yeah, that that line, you go to a a 1950 wooden Chris Craft and you put it up against uh, you know, a 2023 launch or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, I can. They're related. You can definitely, you can tell right off the bat. Uh, but it's really interesting to see what happens when a company gets sold. And does the boat stay like what at its roots? Yeah, like the you know Mako, they went a totally different direction. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a it's a different uh, different thing now than it was when you had what'd you say eighty nine? No, no, it was an eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. Okay. Any other, since we're talking boat brands, any other, you said that was one of your favorite, any mm-hmm. other favorites that you had? I love that, that. You've written. I love that ocean master that I had. And, uh, that the 34 venture is all another favored. And I would say that's, I don't know. I've been on so many boats that it's kind of hard to pick like a, like a favorite. Cause, cause my favorites aren't in my budget. <laughs> like I said, you've got, you've got both of those. You've got price and you've got favorites or quality. And a lot of times they don't, you got to make some compromises. Yep. yep. Um, you know, we'll probably or, see- or be like you and have the skill set to be able to take old and make it into, mm-hmm. you know, that fits your budget. You put your, your expertise and your labor into it. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we're also going to be seeing that too, like uh yellowfin and I think invincible, they both, both got sold to the same company. And I, and I want to say they're mo- like, like that, you know, talking about your different brands being sold out. I think they're moving production over to Mexico. And so it, it will be interesting to see how, how it pans out in the long run of yep. like, like with the Mako, the old Makos, and then they got sold. Now they're made by Bass Pro and it's a production boat and not a, 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 I was going to say a solid boat, but it's not saying that that boat's not solid, but it's not like it, it used to be this big brick house of a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different, you know? And, and here's what I always say is there, if a boat is cheaper than others in its category, there can only be a couple of reasons. They're using cheaper material, mm-hmm. they're using less of the material, and they're using cheaper labor. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's an unsafe boat. Doesn't mean right. it's a boat you should never buy. It just means that it's not going to ride as well. It's going to be. It's going to have a few more things that ticky tacky things that break. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're okay with that, that's fine. You know, that's that's for everybody. I my personal preference is I'm a I'm a buy higher quality used and put a little elbow grease into it yep. you know, to get it to get it where I want. You probably fall into that category with even more skills than I have. Uh, you could take something that doesn't run, <laughs> doesn't, <laughs> doesn't float, <laughs> can't hang a, a motor on the back and yep. you can bring that baby life for a fraction of what you could buy something similar to. Yeah. That's generally, that's generally what I do with everything I own. <laughs> but, um, Let's move on to timing belts. So someone's wanting to know what happens if a timing belt breaks. So I don't know. All I know is it's not good. 
you asked that like I knew the answer, Aaron. <laughs> you're the you're the guy with the technical skills on this. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure what I bring yet. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> but uh, all I know is you don't you want to change your timing belt before it breaks because it's catastrophic. I don't, but I don't really understand why something with the pistons getting out of whack and. But that's about all I know. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of it. There's there's basically two types of engines out there, and it's either an interference or a non-interference engine. And all that means is, like on a four-stroke, you've got valves that open up to let fuel and air in or let exhaust out. And those valves will come down to open up. Now, you've got a piston that's the engine, and when that piston comes up, either that piston will interfere with those valves or it won't. So if it's a non-interference and that piston comes up and if, if it's off time, then it's not going to damage anything. Now an interference engine, if you lose time and that piston comes up and those valves are open, it's going to smash the valves. They're all going to, you know, it's going to break the valve stems and it's, it's going to be catastrophic. Like you said, because now you'll have pieces of metal all bounce around in there, scratching the cylinders and messing the pistons up. So, if the timing belt breaks on an interference engine, it is it is a very very bad thing. And if it, are there are there telltale signs of when that needs to be done, or just hey, go to your manual if it says change it at six hundred hours or whatever, mm -hmm. do it. Or are there some things that that will be like, oh crap, I need to start looking at this. Well, if you start seeing like a lot of belt dust on the engine, so if you look in there and you see a lot of belt dust, like there's different pulleys and tensioners, stuff like that. So if you go in there and let's say the alternator or something is starting to get rusty and that's starting to shave your belt, um, you know, that, that would be something that you should look into depending. Most timing belts are built pretty rugged. I think a lot of them like Yamaha's, a lot of them are, a thousand hours or 10 years. So there is an age okay. limit on some of them. Although I do want to say that they no longer have an age limit on some of the Yamahas, but, um, for, for a lot of them in general, a thousand hours, 10 years, obviously it's going to be model specific. And like you said, you always want to check for your engine because there's thousands yeah. of engines out there. But I would say, if one of those tensioners starts to go bad and it's starting to stick, if that thing locks up, it could shred the belt and, and do it. So just making sure you're looking at your pulleys, tensioner, stuff like that. Once, once it's getting up there, or if you start to see a lot of belt dust, look around and see what's that belt riding on. That's actually creating all that dust. And if you've got a potential problem in the upcoming future, or if it's uh, Oh yeah, there's nothing. You're good to go type of thing yeah yeah because you can go from a a fairly inexpensive maintenance upgrade mm -hmm. to oh crap now i've got a worthless engine and oh, uh yeah. in the uh you know a couple of seconds really oh, if, yeah. if it goes that quick um so 5200 can, can you paint over it can you or do you paint over 5200 um, I, I wouldn't, I mean, you probably, <laughs> now it, if, if the question is, will paint stick to 5,200, it might, I mean, it probably would, but I wouldn't paint over any kind of adhesive silicone, something like that, because I mean, when you think about it, most of the time you're putting adhesive or sealant in something, you've got two sections that are riding together. 
And so let's say you've got, you know, this is a section, this is a section. And if you put sealant in between that and then paint over it, those two sections, when the boat's going across the water are flexing, like the whole boat yeah. is always flexing as you go through the water. So if you paint over something that's two separate pieces and it starts to flex, it's just going to crack. And, and, you know, within a few times of going out, you're just going to, the, the paint's going to be cracking and it's going to be started coming up, you know? So it's going to, yeah, it's going to, the cracking leads to peel and the peel leads to looking worse than if you just left it yep. with a clean 5,200. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess it depends on where you're putting it, but I would say, yeah, leaving it just natural is, is going to look mm-hmm. better. Uh, all right. Any, you have any idea where I could find a wiring diagram on a 95 nitro, um, Rick Cluen edition, if that matters to you. Hmm. But if you're looking at an older boat and you need a wiring diagram, do you have a spot that you go to? I don't. Uh, that's that's probably one of the more difficult things to deal with whenever you're trying to diagnose something or working on an older engine is most people don't want to fork out 100 bucks to buy a manual for you know an engine. And I'm in that same camp. You know, I'm not trying to... Yeah. buy a you, manual you have a stack of manuals you know, up to the ceiling in uh, three rooms yeah yeah exactly so I, I i'm really happy for most of the manufacturers have got everything online i mean most yamaha mercury all that stuff if you put in the serial number then you can get a manual problem is that all that stuff is all dealer specific so you got to have an association with some kind of a dealership to get these manuals or you got to pay the hundred bucks. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, know, yeah. I, I I was trying to think of a place. I know there's one website, something manuals lib or something like that, that you might be able to find manuals, but I don't know of any real good spot to find them because it's, it's that manufacturer product, you know, copyrights. And, and and, the, I think this is something people don't always realize is, that 95 nitro or you know pick the boat they may be made 500 of them mm. you know it's like you would think the boating industry is this huge industry but it's so segmented and fragmented that yeah a boat that you love and you're like oh everybody's got one of these <laughs> if they made 500 that's a lot you yeah know, that's a lot of boat there's there's big manufacturer names that build a hundred of that boat style um a year yeah and, and people are like what that's crazy when i first started got selling boats i remember them saying the biggest the number one selling 21 foot boat sold a thousand mm-hmm. i was like the the best of all of them sold a thousand that's it it blew yep. me away i had no idea it was that segmented not not small but segmented um that's crazy yeah so, nowadays i think right. the bigger ones like I want to say like a regal when maybe i heard a regal they made like 3200 in a year of a certain model or something mm-hmm. like that so it's like yeah that's and that's a lot like that is a lot of boats yeah. to be pumping out i'm sure boston whalers got a massive number like that or, yeah. and i'm sure mako's got a big number like that because they're selling so many in bass pros so it all depends on the boat but you think about that compared to like you know they roll out f-150s off the you know oh yeah three oh, yeah. hours worth of work to turn out 3200 f-150s or yeah. something like that that's in a week it's wild <laughs> what's that that's in a week yeah <laughs> yeah it's like all right we're done with those 3200 let's go yeah what's next 
what's next? All right, let's go to uh, – was there another one that jumped out at you that we should talk about? I don't know. I think I, I was looking at one that says my Yamaha 50 has four cylinders as my Evinrude only has two two-strokes or lighter, make more power, and are just better engines. My question, I have an E-Tech. Sadly, we hit a rock and blew up the lower unit. The power head only has like 70 hours. Should I repair it? Unfortunately, we already repowered our boat with a new four-stroke. I wanted to say Evinrude, but we came to the idea we just need to repower it. Well, that's kind of a loaded question because it's kind of like, did you repower the boat or did you not repower the boat? Or yeah, yeah. Did what, you repower what's actually it? actually going on here? Now you're trying to um, patch the E-Tech back together or I don't know. It's kind of. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I'm reading the question right, but if if the question is that should you repower or not, it looks like you repowered and you've got a 70 hours on this power head of your Evinrude. I don't know if SCI makes. I'm pretty sure SCI makes lower units for Even, Evinrudes. I don't know about an E-Tech, but I would try and find lower unit to put on that engine, and then you can just sell it as a running engine now. So yeah. If that's where he's trying to go with the question, I'm not 100%. Yeah, it's it's somewhat somewhat confusing. Um and I I think the answer is what's what's working and what's not. Like <laughs> what parts do you have that are salvageable and what parts do you need to replace? Look at and then look at what's the value of that engine whole and running versus the repair cost to, you know, right, put an SCI right. foot on it or or what what else do you have to to repair to get it back up and running? versus buying a used outboard or you know repowered with a, a Suzuki or something like that mm -hmm. um so many so many answers to the questions I find that we get are like I need to know a lot more information yeah. than, than yeah. just what, what we're given sorry disregard I just saw the regulator they are very pricey are they worth it I wonder if we really answered that question yeah 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 let's go into are they worth it they you know, but again, a production boat, they're building more of them than the, you know, the CVs or, or those, which are better boats, you know. Again, if it's more expensive, they're not just making more money and jacking up the <laughs> price. It's more expensive because they, like, all of the stuff that you can't see, mm -hmm. if you were to, you know, if you were to take the boat apart, you'd have to get three, four layers deep before you really see the differences in the lamination schedule, the, the way they lay out the mm -hmm. stringers. As as much as the you know, how do they how do they connect the wiring together? Mm -hmm. Those yep. are the things that ten years from now you're like, man, this is easy to work on. Versus, uh, w what are we gonna do? Oh you know, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, we gotta rewire the whole boat. I don't even know where to begin. You know, yeah. the, the wiring diagrams, the least of your worries when you dive into something like that. And that doesn't so even... Are, are they worth it? I think I think they are. I, I'm a big fan of Regulator. I, I think that they, they do a great job. Um, I like the company, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Sowal family-owned company. They're built in the Carolinas uh, where where I'm at. And um, are, they, are they worth it? To me, is a, it depends on what's important to you. I like to equate it to what kind of car do you drive? If you drive, I, I use the Yukon Denali. Mm -hmm. If you if you drive the Yukon Denali, then you need to buy the premium level. That's where you're you're not going to be happy with a, a mid tier or value because that's that just says something about what you like. If you're somebody like me that buys a used truck, 
that's got you know sixty thousand miles on it, and, and, but get a higher tier. Well, then maybe you would have to go used to get that, mm-hmm. but don't go lower. It is, I think that's that's the thought process you need to go through. Um, I don't know if you have a, a thought on kind of making those decisions based on your your own criteria. Yeah, it seems like it's more uh, more related to a to to a budget. I, I boat a boats are just kind of like a budget. Like you said, it depends on what's in the boat. Different brands have different things. So you know, this boat over here, they've got four JBL speakers in there with a little JBL head unit, and then like you look at some of the regulators or CV or Freeman or something, and they got eight 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 JL audios with eight hundred eight amps and four tw- 10 inch subs i mean they got twenty thousand dollars in the stereo equipment in the boat and <laughs> this boat's got a, a two thousand dollar stereo equipment so th- like you said the the products that they put in the boats are are going to be what are going to increase that cost but at the same time when the boat hits the water and you start turning everything on and you start using stuff and you start hitting your buttons you know you're not hitting this cheap little four dollars rocker switch and the cover pops off you're yeah. you know push buttons and and better sealed stuff and you've got 40 switches on the dash and each one of those switches costs 50 bucks so it's like you've got the 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 money is kind of a that's the products that they're putting in they're putting top tier products in the boat and it adds up quick and we even talked about i think i think last week we talked about faded gel coat i mean there's a difference between how thick the gel coat is and the quality of the gel coat. Think of the thousands of thousands of pieces that go into building a boat. And if each one is 20% more expensive because it's mm-hmm. higher quality, that adds up to a $50,000 difference. If you're talking about a, you know, 120 to $170,000 boat in the same category. Right. And then are you going to, are you going to run it up and down the waterway? Well, then you probably don't need the best riding boat if you just you run it to go to the restaurants, mm-hmm. go to the sandbar. But if you're running that baby offshore 30 miles to do some serious fishing, that quality and that ride, that better ride starts really it makes, a difference. <laughs> makes it more enjoyable. You mm-hmm. know, you probably you've probably gone out on runs on boats that you're like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. Mm-hmm. And you've been on others. You're like. This is a dream. This is amazing how well it rides. Yeah, it's kind of the that's kind of one of the jokes where it's like you go and and take this boat on on a on a test drive and you're like, man, somebody's actually paying money to experience this, <laughs> and it's so terrible that it's like you can't believe that someone's spending money to have you know the experience that you're having, but. It, it'll how did oh yeah, it's awful. yeah. Oh, yeah. My when you get off and your back's yeah. all broken you're like oh man this is like <laughs> what is this it's like what i was saying running that running that sundancer on a demo for a sale like mm-hmm. and it fell off and my customers you know <laughs> where's the light jackets like that's no no that's not gonna work that's not good yeah it, it all it all depends on budget and preference this there's another one someone's looking at buying a 1964 evinrude sweet 16 with a two-stroke engine and an OMC drive. Is this a good boat to buy, or do you think it might be trouble? It hasn't been run in almost seven years. I mean, right out the gate, like... <laughs> <laughs> red flag, red flag, red flag. Oh, the, the, we'll, let's start with this. Let's start with, has it run in almost seven years? Take the, the engine 
the specific engine out. Mm -hmm. Does that bother you as a regular consumer, not as a project boat guy, but as a regular, I want to buy this boat to run with my family. Does that concern you right out of the gate? Well, it depends on how it was stored. So if this thing was just put away, then yeah, seven years is pretty concerning because you, you know, if they've got ethanol fuel in that boat, now you got a fuel tank full of water. Uh, was the lower unit looked at? Did it get put away with water in the lower unit and you're in a place that freezes and now the lower unit's yep. frozen or same thing for the block. Uh, we're talking about a two stroke OMC drive, well, two stroke engine and an OMC drive. So 1964, you're you're talking about a boat that is almost 60 60, years old, years old. (laughs) (laughs) You know, do you think it might be trouble? Well, you, it it depends on what you mean by trouble. Yeah. Well, if you like to tinker, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to tinker. (laughs) Yeah. That is a, you know, that's a prime. I I got, I got a lot of weekends playing with Mm -hmm. my boat, which some people love, you know, that's, that's part of, that's part of the boat ownership process is doing stuff to it. And if you like it, it's a great boat. You're going to have a, a lot of opportunity to, mm-hmm. um, I don't know the sweet 16. Do you know that engine? I, I I'm not familiar with it. Sweet 16. He says it's a 1964 Evinrude sweet 16. So it's probably like a 16 foot boat. Um, yeah. kind of a little different. It says the two stroke engine and an OMC drive. So like an OMC drive, would be an outdrive, but a two-stroke engine. I mean, in 1964, did they have a two-stroke inboard? I don't think so. I don't. I've never heard of one. If they I, did, <laughs> I wasn't alive yet, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, kind of what I'm thinking. I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you definitely were. The, you definitely were the one. I, I had ten years before before I was like even knew what was going on in the world. So, uh, but yeah, it's and again, it this is why we can have a podcast and talk about this for, you know, every week for a year mm-hmm. is because it depends. There's a lot of like for some people, that's a great fun project boat to tinker with, to go out and get some, what is that that you're running and get looks at the boat ramp and talking to people, Oh yeah, you know, for somebody that you just want that boat to go out with your family and have it be reliable to pull tubes, yeah. you know, and go fishing. Probably not. <laughs> no. Probably not the best fit for you. So it, it depends on what, yeah, how you're going to use it. What what's important to you? No, that's that's one of those boats that you're talking about antique stuff that you want to restore and make them yeah. look pretty and like you said, take them to the ramp and like put around and you know have people look at you and go, oh, that's really cool. That was really shiny. Yeah, look at you. I remember that back in my day, type of thing. Not, not yeah, not yeah. not like you said, pull them loading the family up for the weekend like <laughs> taking the wife and kids out to the sandbar <laughs> like you're not getting there every time you know yeah there's, yeah there's without without time. yeah without <laughs> that without that well work that you put in you know you gotta restore yeah, that, that thing right. first yeah the the several hours uh prior to hitting the water that first time yep uh yeah but and yet there are people that love it you know there are people that love to to mess with their stuff and to um i remember one of my favorite things, I worked at a marina in college one summer, and I would take our, my parents were crazy. They let my brother and I keep our boat at the marina I worked at when, <laughs> when we were in college together. 
It was a fun summer. Uh, but we had to take care of it. That was the deal. We had to put gas in it. We had to yep. take care of it. And we, yep. if we did anything stupid. We were in serious trouble. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were repercussions. But I would take the boat out in the middle of the water, you know, clean it, put it in a new stereo system. Like that part was fun to me. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, that playing with boat. You probably have a similar um, love of doing just doing stuff on the water. Oh yeah. Fun. Oh yeah. No, I, I definitely love the water. I, I mean, that's why I do what I do. I like the water. I, I also like going through the boats too. I like having a different boat every year and working on this one and using it and then working on another one and, and going through them because it's kind of the best of both, both worlds where we were talking about, it depends on what you want to do on the water. Well, that's kind of the upside to it is you get to change that up and see the different models and actually see the different downsides to different, you know, brands and whatnot. Yeah. How, how many boats do you think you run in a year? Like, do I run? Yeah. How, how many boats do you actually get on the water? And even if it's just a, a 10 minute check run after you do some work or diagnostic run. When I was at the Marina, it'd be probably a few hundred. Yeah. At, at, I mean, at a it, minimum. It's cool. It's cool to see all the differences and you really, you know, the different electronics that they have on mm-hmm. it, the different gadgets, the different handling, you know, like you said, the, some of those cats would catch and, you know, some you're like, this is a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And some you're like, this is amazing. This boat's mm-hmm. rock solid. I love oh, yeah. it. It's fun to have that diversity in, uh, and that, that experience that you can share with everybody. Cause you mm-hmm. can then say, Hey, watch out for these things. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. This is bad. Yeah. But the 1964 Evan, you might be, you might be pushing it. <laughs> Even you might pass on that one as your next project boat. Yeah, no, that would definitely be one. Like that's a, that's a restoration. Like a, you know, you want to really restore the, and and deck this thing out and make it awesome. It's so this, this next person's talking about how do we treat pitting saltwater addition? And now we understand, but treatment, uh, wait a minute. Oh, Oh, (laughs) uh Oh, but I scrolled past you. Bottom fine, just the pontoons, tops and sides. Uh oh. So now we're talking about pitting in a pontoon boat. Um, yeah, it's that is the start of badness. You know. Oh yeah. I don't know if that's proper English, but it, it's the start to something that you need to figure out. Figure out why, and you probably need to wash your tunes down better mm-hmm. um, if you're if you're pulling it out of the water for sure. Yeah, I've only seen one that was really, really bad. And once that pitting starts, it's you, you put the boat in the water. When you take it out, it looks like a, a sprinkler. It looks like a rain, rain shower head coming out with 40,000 holes in the body. Like it's not really repairable. You're taking those pontoons off and, and replacing them. Um, that's yeah. You definitely do not want to get to that point. How do you so, protect against that against that though? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One is you gotta you gotta keep up with your anodes um to so that you have a sacrificial metal that that corrosion that that um electrolysis, whatever is gonna eat that first. Um, but then you need to look for is there stray current somewhere on the boat mm-hmm. that's causing it to accelerate? Is there stray current if you leave the boat in the water, is there stray current in the water? Maybe maybe your neighbor at the marina has something that's not hooked up correctly and it's getting, maybe there's something on the dock that's not hooked up properly and you got current getting into the water. That's going to accelerate it 
a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on, and I don't think it says what age the boat is, but if it's a newer boat, it, I would probably look towards that electrical issue, straight current somewhere, and mm-hmm. and try to um, try to isolate it there. Um, but yeah, once it gets going, it, it can be it can be a difficult thing to to treat. And then once it starts, once you get to pinholes, yeah. then you replace it. <laughs> yeah. At a certain point, there's there's no uh, there's no return. No, there's not. It, that's something you kind of got to catch early and and make sure you get it stopped early because you do not want to let that can of worms open up. Yeah, another another thing that I, I should have mentioned was besides straight current is dissimilar metals touching. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got the aluminum tubes, you've you've got your anode or multiple anodes depending on on the boat. But then did somebody mount a galvanized something, you know, a galvanized ladder or a, you know, who knows what people may have done, but some other metal that's touching, making connection with the, with the aluminum directly. And that, um, um, what's the word? I, I just forgot it. Anodized? Um, dissimilar metals. Oh, dissimilar metals, yeah. That uh, you've got to put a spacer, some sort of spacer in there mm-hmm. so that they're not touching directly because that can also cause uh, that pitting and, and, um, and be a, a culprit that's fixable if you can find it. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of uh, pontoons down in your down in your areas? Not really, not really. I, I know here in the in the Carolinas, I'm inland a ways, but Charleston, Wilmington, they're they're becoming, and up in the Northeast, um, if you've got a, a calmer bay or if you've got a lot of, of waterway or brackish water, they're really really common um, over the last five years. But you've got to you've got to be careful because it can that salt water accelerates that, um, that pitting. And it's just, it's corrosive. <laughs> that mm-hmm. salt water is tough on everything. Oh yeah. And, uh, and especially aluminum. So keeping it rinsed with fresh water can also help. Um, but if it's newer, there's probably another accelerant that's, uh, that needs to be dealt with. Well, let's go with, uh, Scotty's got, I have a new 22 foot Bennington triple tune with 150 horse Yamaha. The steering is hydraulic but it's very hard to steer at anything over 20 miles per hour. I have flushed the system and talked to the dealer and no fix. It is fine at idle. Do you have any idea as to what I can do or is this normal? You've got that propeller spinning and on a 150 Yamaha, you've got a single propeller. So if you think about it, that propeller is going this way and it's wanting to, it's wanting to crawl that motor around at slow RPM that you can easily handle that. The, as you get faster and faster and faster, you're going, you know, 3,500, 4,000 RPMs, and that's wanting to pull your boat, and that can be part of it um, on on some of those systems. Um, there could also be a if I don't know if that motor's got that little fin in the back that's adjustable, uh, mm. that anode fin. You know I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trim tab. Um, I think the 150s yeah, a lot of them do. I, I never yeah. call that a trim tab. It, it's confusing to me, but that trim tab, it's needs to be offset just a little bit, and that sort of counteracts that P force. Mm-hmm. So if it's going this way, you make your tab go the opposite way, so it it tracks straighter. It also takes off some of that pressure. Um, doesn't need to be a lot, but just find right. that right angle, and that can help as well. Um. Is that kind of where your where your mind goes, or did you jump to another thought process? 
Well, I think I think he's talking I think he's talking about it locking up or something. He says he says something about um very hard to steer at anything over twenty miles per hour. So I wonder if he's See. like at idle it steers fine and everything's good, but then as he's going once he hits like twenty, he can't like steer it or something. I, he says hydraulic, so it's not a cable. I would kind of yeah. lean into thinking that you've got some kind of a mechanical failure somewhere and like with the engine just sitting here, it'll turn left, right, no problem. But then as soon as you put it in gear and put 20 miles an hour of force behind it, maybe it's like pushing the engine forward and you've got something that's that's rubbing or like something that's binding up. Maybe now you're maybe, getting, now you're getting a kink. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe the steering cylinder, maybe there's something that's rubbing on the steering cylinder. That's not, um, I've seen, I've seen a, a pontoon boat one time where on the, it's very common for most manufacturers, the mounting mounting bolts, the top two that are exposed, they put out and the nuts on the outside and then the bottom bolts go in and the nuts on the inside. We saw a pontoon boat that had all four of the bolts out to in with the nuts on the inside and the um, steering cylinder was catching on the mounting bolts of the engine. And okay. I actually lost a socket on this too because I had to do it in the water and I dropped my 17 millimeter socket off my half inch in the water trying to get, cause I had to take the mounting bolts out, flip them around and put them back in. So that way that yeah. steering cylinder would, um, not be binding there, but that was probably something similar. I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking, right? Cause it's okay. He's, he's saying yeah, that that's what having your, your mind goes to a different place than mine. Cause you, you've experienced fixing a lot of these things. And there are sometimes that, it, you're you're right at 20 for whatever reason that angle pinches mm -hmm. something or that angle catches something yeah that unless you reproduce that exact scenario sitting at idle in the in the dock oh this is everything's good yep um my mind automatically went to it gets harder to steer but i missed the hydraulic um it, it's a little bit harder but it shouldn't be not hard yeah he says uh, very hard to, hard steer, to steer so that yeah. that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you got some kind of a mechanical bind probably that's 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 and when you say 20 miles an hour now I'm thinking okay you've got now you've got force. So yeah. so I would say look for some kind of a binding maybe who who knows what I mean you can find anything. So that's something <laughs> you, you got to some crazy stuff over the yeah, years. Yeah. Huh? You, you kind of got to like, visibly look that at happen? that one. Yeah, so definitely not normal Angela. Um, definitely not normal. Go have somebody while you're steering, sit back there and, mm -hmm. and look, you know, you might even be able to just, just see it. If you're, um, stay inside the gates, be careful with it. But, uh, but yeah, that's something that you might be able to identify, but you have to, you have to reproduce it. You got to be underway to, to do that checking. 